Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Electrify News Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Boris here, and I'm here with Ravi. He's the CEO of Zen Electric Bikes. Uh, Zen is a company that we got to know a little bit at Electrify Expo in Austin. We got to sample some of the bikes, uh, the Samurai, the Sorrel. These were really neat bikes. So, uh, Ravi, thanks thanks for coming on the show. Well, it's my pleasure, Joe, and uh, really appreciate you having having me on the podcast this time. Oh, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely our pleasure. You know, we have so many conversations with people about the e-bikes and we'll talk about the bikes and they're, they're product people, they're branding people, right? They want to talk to us about, you know, the, the cool lifestyle that you can live if you have their bike and how much easier it is to go get groceries. But you're in a little bit different league because you have a very, very strong engineering background and, you know, in, in, a, in a much different way, you can speak to a lot of the challenges that are facing all the e-bike brands when it comes to policy, safety, you know, battery management, things like that. I think in a way that other guests can't, do you think that's a, a kind of a, a fair statement? <laughs> sure. We could say that I've had a, I've had the pleasure and the privilege of working with some industry leaders since 2013. And I got my PhD working on battery materials at the university of Illinois, not very far from where you are right now. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to work with some of the very best scientists at uh, at Argonne National Lab, which is like the premier national lab in the U.S. for battery research. So after... Take that, NRL. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, NRL is great too, but uh, Argonne has a special place in the battery world. I'm not sure if you know this, um, the chemistry that went into Chevy Bolt and Volt came from some of these places. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I don't know why I had it in my head that, um, because I, I'm thinking of the EV one that a lot of that work came out of Chevron's R and D back in the late seventies, early eighties. But, uh, no, I don't know the story about Argon. Um, well, we'll have to have that conversation. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do the next one on that and talk about Argon and its role in, in the development of the uh, the modern EV. Um, but yeah, then, talk so, to me a little more. Go ahead. So after my PhD, uh, I realized that there is a real need in the industry for light electric vehicles having batteries that last a long time. You know, if you get a Prius right now, you're looking at at least eight to 10 year warranty on the batteries. I think it is 10 years right now. Same thing with many electric cars, eight to 10 years. But in the light electric vehicle space, electric scooters, e-bikes, the warranty is typically one to two years. And not just the warranty, which is the business aspect of it, but the, just the longevity of batteries and the quality and the standard that goes with it has been completely different from the EV electric car world. So when I saw this, complete discrepancy here. I thought I should do something about it. And I was really lucky to find a great advisor and a mentor, Dr. Jeff Don in Canada. He is the Tesla Canada chair. He's one of the foremost scientists in the world, uh, in the battery research world. So um, I started working with him last year and we started the company Zen Electric end of last year and the operation started early this year. The, the the real goal is to commercialize long lifetime batteries for light electric vehicles. 
Yeah. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show um, and, and we spoke a little while ago also in, in, in my role at Clean Technica as a journalist there, we talked about, you know, the tremendous amount of lithium ion and tech waste that comes from these bikes, especially bikes that have a one or two year lifespan. And if you look at the number of, you know, we'll just call it what it is. If you look at a number of the low cost, the the kind of cheap e-bikes that are out there on $9.99 that you can buy off of Amazon or at Walmart, you know, you mentioned the number, I think it was 40 million e-bikes were sold last year. That's going to create a tremendous amount of lithium ion battery waste and, and wasted battery capacity too, because these are minerals and materials that could could be recycled and could be put back into service. So how does, you know, how does your company, uh, you know, not only address that and look at that, but also kind of solve for that? Absolutely. Well, you know, you're right. You're, in fact, your team has published a lot of great articles on recycling of lithium ion batteries, which is an extremely important topic because as you rightly said, just this year alone, 40 million bikes. And the, and the Deloitte report says that from the year 21, 22, 23, three years put together, 120 million e-bikes will be sold globally. 120 million e-bikes. And taking an average of three kilograms per bike, three to four kilograms of battery per bike, so that's 120 million multiplied by four kilograms. It's about 480 million kilograms of battery waste entering the market by the end of 2025. That's almost half a billion kilograms of battery waste. You know, to mine one kilogram of nickel takes thousands of liters of water. To mine one kilogram of cobalt takes so much effort. It's unbelievable. So now we here we have half a billion kilograms of battery materials waste just going out. And this is a big problem, right? That's why companies like Redwood Materials are coming in trying to recycle these batteries. Now, yeah, that's, uh, with- yeah I was going to say that's Redwood Materials. That's J.B. Straubel's company. He was one of the original OG Tesla guys. Exactly. Former CTO. Now, we, we, we looked at this problem and said, okay, there has to be a better way. We have to bring it at least up to the standard of electric cars where it lasts eight to 10 years. You know, if we say electric bikes are replacing cars, and if that statement has to hold true, we should ensure the batteries last at least six to eight years, you know, minimum. That's the automotive grade. Otherwise, we really cannot claim that we are replacing cars and moving the needle to sustainability. So the goal with Zen is that we we are building batteries. In fact, we have lab results that show batteries lasting 4,000 cycles. 4,000 cycles translates to at least 12 to 13 years of regular usage. So even if you take a conservative approach, our batteries should last uh, 3,000 cycles and at least eight to 10 years of offer, eight to 10 years of service life. before well, it Let's think about that. If you're talking about if you're talking about 3000 cycles and you, and you figure a low estimate, you get 20 miles per cycle. That's a yeah. 60,000 mile battery conservatively. That's a that's lot of miles to be putting on an e-bike. 600,000, I believe. Wow. Well, that's why you have the PhD in math and I host a podcast. 
<laughs> but that's an incredible number. I mean, that is Sorry, I mean, genuinely a car replacement. We're going to do the math, aren't we? No, you actually, um, you're right. 60,000 miles. No, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. You're right. That finance degree from Northwestern is, is taking on the PhD. <laughs> I'll have to let my guys know that. No, <laughs> no but it, it's, but it's, it's an incredible thing to say, right? When we, when we think about, like, I like to think that I ride my e-bikes a lot, right? And I have a couple of them that, that I just have personally, right? And I think the other day, one of them hit 200 miles and I've had it about a year. And that's ridiculous. I can't genuinely call that a car replacement. What I can say is rather than taking my car, you know, my, my Volvo or something, 200 miles to the store and to the restaurant or whatever, I took my bike, but that's not replacing a car in, in a genuine sense. Right. You know, I think when you're talking about somebody putting, a thousand miles a month or 500 miles a month on their, on their e-bike. I think that's when you can start talking about it being a, a car replacement. And certainly the idea that I can buy one of these and that it lasts six to eight years is important because how many people have bought uh, an inexpensive, I, I don't even want to say inexpensive because there's plenty of high quality, inexpensive stuff out there. How many people have bought a cheap kind of low rent e-bike budget e-bike ridden it for a year and a half and then they can't get it charged they can't find the parts they can't you know the, the company the brand name doesn't exist they can't find a charger and then they're soured from the whole e-bike experience right so that's that's something that takes the whole industry backwards exactly you're absolutely right and especially if you look at what's happening in europe where cargo bikes are becoming mainstream and with dedicated bike lanes Cargo bikes can really replace. I mean, you can take your kid to school without any problem. It can really be an amazing replacement of car, at least for 80% of the trips for the rest long 20% journey that you can use your car. So you're absolutely right. And with with a lot of uh, momentum moving towards cargo bikes and you know commuter bikes, it's essential that we offer something high quality to the market that lasts a long time. And apart from just the longevity of it, the lack of standardization is something that is really quite prevalent in the market right now. Uh, that's that's leading to another issue. You know, we, there's no standard connector between the chargers of any bike. It's all different connectors. I mean, at least now in the electronics world, we are moving towards USB-C, which is reducing all the cable and electronic waste. But we have to have something in the e-bike world when it comes to charging and battery standards because, as you said, rightly said, people get an e-bike for $700 from Walmart. Two years down the line, they can't get batteries, they can't get chargers, they can't get controllers, BMS, none of that. <clears throat> right. Well, but it's even it, it's even more than that, right? Because like I have, I don't I don't want to name names because you know I, I don't want to alienate vendors, but I have two different vehicles from the same manufacturer. One is a kit, a kick scooter and one is an e-bike. Not only do they have different connectors for the, for the charging port, they're, they're completely, they're not interchangeable. Like, so, so it's not like I can, like that I can use the thing from one brand product to product. I can't even use the brand's connector across their entire product line. So it's, it's incredibly frustrating. I have to have, like, I, I have, 
with that exaggeration, I have like a, a huge container full of the different chargers and each one of them is labeled to say like, you know, this is for this, I mean, you know, there's no secret. I have a, I have a Hemiway, I have a new, and I have a couple of different kick scooters and every single one of them has their own charger. They all have their own label on it. And, you know, if I lose one, I, I mean, thankfully I'm in a position where I have a relationship with these companies and I can make a phone call and, you know, get the CEO of uh, <laughs> Zen e-bikes on the phone and, and uh, I'm sure he can find one behind a toolbox or something, but the average person buying something off of, you know, Alibaba or AliExpress or Walmart.com or something, they have no idea what to do. And it just becomes, you know, a bad experience. So what are some of the challenges? I imagine one of the challenges that you guys have is communicating that your product is different, that your product is built to last. Um, and then trying to justify that to them. What, what do you say to someone who says, oh, you know, it's just a hobby. It's just something I'm going to try out and see. And if it doesn't work in a year, it doesn't work in a year. Right. So we have a lot of customers that come in and say, okay, I just want to test the water and see you know, what it is all about. And they start with something inexpensive, around $1,500. But then they come back and say, oh, okay, I tried this bike from so-and-so company. I think e-bikes are great, but now I'm ready for something high quality because the potential of an e-bike is much more than what I'm using it for right now. So I really want to have a higher quality bike. It is just, there are two aspects. One is the market maturity. Along with the market maturity comes customer awareness and knowledge. So part of our job is to educate the customer as to why they need to spend a little bit more. It is not about trying to upsell them anything, but if they're not educated, I mean, you know, look at what happened to, to the iPad industry, right? You know, a few years ago, there were so many clones on the, on eBay, uh, Android clones. But after a while, they realized, oh, I might as well have paid extra $200 and got on an iPad that would have lasted me six years instead of just two years of work. So as people realize that, you know, they don't want to get into this rabbit hole of e-waste and, you know, parts shortage and all of this, they realize, oh, okay, they will spend more. But it's it's a matter of the market maturity and how much effort we as manufacturers put into it. Uh, we are fighting an uphill battle because there are so many companies out of whether it's Asia or wherever, they just ship the bikes and there's just a warehouse in North America and they mm -hmm. ship the bike. There's no support system you know, in, in North America. There's no service center. And all the customer sees is that, oh, this bike is so much cheaper than this brand. So I just want to go with something inexpensive. And this is a, this is a challenge for many of the brands that are trying to create certain quality standards. Because right now, what we're going through is a wild, wild west phase of e-bikes. It's pretty nascent. Every company has its own battery standard. Every company has its own communication protocols, the charging standards. Everything is different. But as the market matures, everybody has to bring a certain level of quality. Otherwise, uh, it becomes a nightmare for them. You know, you have seen so many companies come and go because they come onto this, but after a while, the challenges of servicing thousands of bikes just makes it difficult for them to operate. That's exactly right. You know, and you were talking about the standardization of components, and I, I, I actually started on your YouTube channel. It kept going in the background, uh, but I, you, you had a really good 
uh, conversation w- about the e-bike controllers and the motor production, um, you know, w- with accelerated systems in your, um, you know, in, in your YouTube channel and your Zen knowledge center. Right. And I, I found that very interesting Do you, because when we think of, you know, there's this sense that all that it takes to standardize is a battery and a plug and an electric motor, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I, I think you can speak to that a little bit as well. And, and what maybe that standardization looks like. I mean, I think when you made the comment about USB-C, that was very good, but I mean, is there, is there any possibility of like, retroactively of retroactive uh uniformity because like if i have an old usb mini or usb you know usb c or or a standard usb 2.0 i can buy the little adapter to make sure that i can still plug into my you know older device but with an e-bike i don't think that exists is that something that just can't exist or is it something possible or do we not even bother with something like that no it can totally exist and that's where the role of leaders like yourself comes into picture you know, if a couple of leaders in the space say, hey, uh, to the industry people, to, to the manufacturers, we got to have a common operating system like an Android or iPhone or Mac or whatever it is, but it has to be the base, foundational base, and upon which we can build. After that, you can you know customize it for your own brand, but there has to be a base level operating system because we cannot be operating like this with, you know, every bike has, having its own controller display protocol you cannot mix you cannot get parts after a couple of years this is where policy and regulation comes into a picture any bike any bike that is sold in the u.s must meet certain safety standards it must meet certain electronic standards when we say safety standards you know you agree that um, you know under right to laboratory ul is a agency that monitors uh, safety of electronics and many other components. And it's, in fact, it is in Illinois, headquartered in Illinois. And we must bring a certain level of safety standard to e-bike batteries because you hear about all these fires happening. So if only those brands that meet certain safety standards will be allowed to sell bikes. And that's already happening in New York. If you want to sell cargo e-bike to any fleet, or food delivery vehicle company, uh, you must meet UL battery standard because of uh, what's happened, what has happened in New York in the last one year. So this well, is it's where funny I that hope- you bring that up. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to bring that up. We had uh, New York Senator Julia Salazar on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, and one of the things that she was talking about was e-bike safety. And she was working on a rebate program for the state of New York. And you said something very interesting, which is that the the regulation needs to be there to demand certain levels of safety, certain longevity, perhaps even certain levels of warranty. Do you think that it makes sense from a policy perspective as a consumer to say like, hey, what, you know, what's a great way to do outreach? How can we, you know, help affect positive change? We can reach out to our state senators. We can reach out to our congresspeople and say, look, when you do this e-bike rebate, like, you know, we can't be create, this can't create more e-waste. This is the wrong thing to do. We need to have a minimum standard that these manufacturers need to meet in order to qualify for that rebate. And part of that could be, for example, the three-year warranty on the battery, could be that UL safety rating, could be that universal connector. Are, are, am I kind of picking up what you're putting down or, or, or is there a more nuance to it? No, you're absolutely right on track. 
those kind of conversations need to happen. And I hope you know, podcasts like this uh, highlight the issue at hand and what really needs to be done. So thanks for bringing that up. You're absolutely right. I think that's a great idea, in fact, to set a standard and those companies that meet the standard will qualify for rebates. That's a great way to do it. Man, we just—I think we just—we just cracked this code here. You know, looking at this, you, you guys are—are, are, you know, in, in that sense, you guys would have a very strong offering then, because you know, I—I I, I didn't experience the Samurai uh, Zen bike. I—I I, I checked out the Sarala, and I was very impressed with it. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about standardization, and that one has the the Bafang motor, um, which I think you know, five years ago, six years ago, there there wasn't that standardization, but there's enough of these motors and then the Bosch mid-drive unit as well as another one. There's enough of those out there that I think most people, most people who are in the bicycle community that are retailers that have a small bike shop or a bicycle service shop are comfortable working on those. Um, you know, if they need to replace them or repair them, how do you answer the question that customers have about, you know, you may have the best warranty in the world, but where do they take the bike to get serviced? How does that warranty play out in, uh, you know, in terms of the customer experience? So we have started rolling, uh, you know, setting up dealer network, both in Canada and the U.S., and we are actively working on expanding that. So very soon we'll be announcing one of the service partners. Right now, we have made it such that the bikes, when we, when they ship out of our facility, it's already 95% assembled. And Yeah, you basically just reason, put the handlebars and the front wheel on and you're ready to go. And one of the reasons we started working with Bosch first, well, our first product was a Bosch-based product is because Bosch has thousands of authorized dealer network that are trained to handle all the service needs. They know exactly what the system is, what kind of software that needs to go on it. It's one of the reasons we brought this bike with the Bosch system, the Samurai. The Sural bike is actually was a limited edition bike that was brought for a specific client of ours in Canada. And moving forward, all of our bikes will have, as you said, the same kind of battery connector, the charger, the protocol will be similar. So it will be backwards compatible. That's what we are working on. And we are comfortable selling the Bosch-based uh, units because it has the UN safety standard. It's got the service network, and there's a certain level of credibility built into it. Yeah. And, uh, and they have thermal management. Sorry, go ahead. And when we bring our own Zen batteries in 2023, we plan to have not just the battery. In fact, we're setting up the battery pack manufacturing facility right here in Canada. And I hope you will be able to visit us next spring when the facility is up and running. So we'll be building the packs right here in Canada. And then it will have advanced battery management system, thermal systems, um, optimized communication protocols. So this battery would offer a pretty long lifetime compared to anything on the market because we not only just get, see the way we are envisioning is, or the way we are executing this plan is, we specify what kind of cathode, what kind of electrolyte, and what kind of anode goes into this 21700 format cell. From there, we build the packs 
you know, right now we are using top tier 21700 cells, but next year we are getting our own cells. At that point, it becomes a game changer because this custom cathode, custom anode, electrolyte combination would be exclusive to us. At the same time, they offer extremely long lifetime. So building from that foundation will be ensuring it has lifetime safety standards, all of that. So in the interest of moving the industry towards a standard, is your battery going to be made available to other companies who want to adopt your standard? The goal is that, you know, um, we want to be the battery pack supplier to all the brands. So every bike will have six to eight year warranty in about a couple of years when we iron out all the um, design changes, you know, when it is absolutely ready to go for mass market adoption. Um, the goal is that all the OEMs in North America can benefit from our work here. Yeah. And that's fantastic. And you're actually getting, um, and I may be mistaken about this. So we, we have, we've covered a number of Canadian companies. We've spoken with uh, Sam Bruno over at Taiga. We've spoken with a couple of people at flow um, who make, of course the, uh, the EV chargers and they are getting tremendous amount of support from their local government, as well as from Canada uh, nationally to create these new sustainable jobs and sustainable enterprises. Um, are you working with the government closely as well? Correct. We are fortunate to be funded both from the provincial government and the federal government. Uh, we have a great ecosystem here that has been really supportive. And just because of that support, now we are thinking of setting up the battery pack manufacturing facility in Canada. Yeah, I, I mean, it all sounds great. And, you know, uh, as one other guy that I meant, forgot to mention, we have Snow Lake Lithium that uh, has been working with the government up there as well, as far as uh, generating a a what they call a no harm uh, mining operation. So you guys are building a, a tremendous ecosystem there. And all I can do from, from this side of the border is kind of stare at it jealously, right? Cause we're, we're still digging holes underneath Las Vegas instead of putting in a proper rail system. But uh, that's a totally different conversation. Um, but you know, yeah, it, right, this is all, inc- but yeah, the inflation reduction act. Yeah. That's going to be huge. Yeah. It's going to be huge, but I mean, you can already see some of the cracks in that, in that, right? Like where I was talking with a gentleman in, um, I don't want to say what state he was in because that'll give it away. And his conversation was, okay, we're going to put these chargers in every 50 miles, but so what? Like nobody cares. You know, they're still, they're still ranchers. They're still cattle people. And I I'm kind of hoping he's wrong about that. Um, I'm hoping that as people see more infrastructure, they can learn to trust the electric fuel more and, and kind of make that switch. But I think it's going to be a, a, a little bit longer road. And I think we're going to have a much better impact. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to see somebody trade in their five-year-old car internal combustion for a brand new EV because that carbon cost has already been spent on that car. I'd much rather see them keep that car for road trips, but learn to commute to work on a, you know, 60 pound or 70 pound bicycle instead of a, you know, 5,700 pound SUV. I think that's where we're going to have a much better win, but you know, uh, I I don't, I, I say this legitimately. I say this with no sarcasm or irony in my voice. You know, I I didn't realize you had a PhD and like, I just knew that you were smarter than me and I I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But, you know, do, do you really think that 
in and, and I know the answer to this in, in my head is yes. You know, do you think that we can, if we improve the experience, we improve the standardization, that we can really get more people to genuinely switch to two wheels in the United States? Um, the biggest limitation is the infrastructure. We may have the best bikes, we may have the best warranty or the long, long, long lifetime battery. I think the real limitation is the infrastructure because people still feel iffy about trucks and cars passing by within three feet of there. So if we have protected, protected bike lanes like Netherlands, Netherlands perhaps is the biking mecca of the world, right? And if you see what's happening there, it's unbelievable. Even if you bring just 20% of that kind of infrastructure in main cities, San Francisco, New York, D.C., Atlanta, Chicago, I think there'll be an explosion of people riding uh, e-bikes to work. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I hope that happens because that's where, you know, for me, that's where most of the, uh, the air pollution is. That's where the, the, the strongest, um, you know, the highest concentration is of respirat respiratory illness among children and, and just kind of in general, that's, that's where we need to be, where you have more people, you have more, more waste and more pollution. And we need to clean that up. Uh, Robbie, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show and, and being a part of uh, Electrify Expo. Uh, we'd love to talk to you more as we, uh, you know, get closer to industry day and, and really kind of try to iron out what we want to ask, uh, ask for in terms of some of these rebates. I think we're really onto something. We can do a good collaboration there. Um, for the people listening in who are just now hearing about you and learning about what you guys are doing, what, where do they go to follow along? What's the best way to, uh, kind of stay up to date on, on your progress there up in Canada? Sure. Uh First of all, thank you for making this happen. And second, yes, people can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, it's Zen Electric Bikes or Zen E-Bikes is the handle. And we are happy to, you know, answer any question. And, and Joe, you know, you have been leading the e-bike space for a while now. Uh, one question that you may add, you know. Oh, yeah. Nobody ever asks me questions. You're already doing well. Let's go. <laughs> You know, uh, what What do you think customers really want? Is it low price or is it something higher quality or what exactly is a product that would really make a difference in a sustainable way in the in the micromobility space? I, I appreciate that question. So I, I think there's two things. I think people see cost as a barrier to entry and they have this idea in their head that they will experience and they will be able to test the waters with a lower cost product. And what they don't realize is that that lower cost experience is not the same kind of experience they'll have on a high quality product. I think that what needs to happen, and, and this was really the birth of, you know, events like the electrify expo, what needs to happen is that people need to have the opportunity to experience a high quality vehicle whether it's a car or whether it's a bike and, and come to understand that there is a sense of you get what you pay for. So that's, that's the first thing. And then I think the second thing is certainly here in, in the United States, possibly in Canada, but I think it's a little bit different. Certainly in the United States, it's um, you know, there's this, this Christmas movie we're in winter. So we'll talk about this. There's a Christmas movie classic. Uh, it's a wonderful life. And one of the reasons that movie is still so popular is there's a great line in there that says, do you know how hard it is for a working man to save $5,000? 
And that, you know, 50 years ago, that was, that was a true statement and it's a true statement now. And when you look at some of these high quality bikes, whether it's a a Zen e-bike, whether it's from specialized, whether it's from giant, you know, they carry a a, a premium price tag, $4,000, $5,000, sometimes eight or $10,000. And that is something that's going to last. And that is something that's going to deliver a high quality experience. And that is something that's going to be. Uh, I, I don't want to say cherished, but certainly something practical. It's going to be able to replace a car. Um, the problem is that that's a big ask from someone who maybe is this is their first bike or this is their first e-bike. That's a big ask of them. Um, I, I think that if there was some kind of uh, community leasing program or some kind of, you know, uh, buyback system within the within the community, you know, if, if I were, if I were doing the business myself, maybe I would say like, you know, some kind of subscription model where you get this bike for 12 months. And then after 12 months, you can buy it for a fixed amount or else it goes back to the company and they put a new battery in it, check the controller, clean it, and then sell it as a, as a, a refurb and, you know, find different ways to offer that lower price experience to more consumers but still have that quality baked into it. And, and that may be a terrible answer. People may not want to subscribe to a bicycle, but um, you know, I, I, I think it's in the same way that a $200 Schwinn from target is not the same experience as my, you know, I, I had a specialized road bike that was not electrified. Um, and I put it on the back of a Honda civic. And I know that my bike costs more than my car. And that is a tremendous bicycle. And I think that for people who've never, experience something high quality like that they don't understand the difference and it's it, it's hard to communicate that difference what makes a you know what makes a sixty thousand dollar volvo worth twice as much as a thirty thousand dollar fiat well as soon as you crash it you'll figure it out real quick you know but um yeah i don't know i think that's a challenge for you guys but i'd be more than happy to give you as many ideas as you want <laughs> no those insights are uh very much appreciated because that's true. And uh, what you said is absolutely right. We we have to find a new way of uh, getting high quality products into people's hands. And I, what you suggested, suggested the subscription, subscription model is quite interesting. So we will certainly look into that. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'll, uh, I'll send you an invoice. <laughs> All right, Robbie, thank you so much for being a part of this. And uh, we'll follow up with you here in a couple of days and, and uh, we publish here in a little bit. Be sure to follow along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. I think we're on Stitcher and uh, I think wherever, you know, good quality podcasts are found. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening to the Electrify Podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV. And Follow along on social media for daily clips and more.